0: Presenting the transcription feature, Superman.
1: Under the sky, look! It's a, bird. it's a plane! It's Superman! And now, Superman, strange visitor from the planet Krypton, who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men, and who fights a never-ending battle against crime and injustice, disguised as Clark Kent, a mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper. Kent and Jimmy are now on a cruise around the world on the Clara M, last of the clipper ships. Just as soon as the vessel got underway, strange things began to happen on board. In our last episode, we heard Teak Barnaby, mysterious peg-legged first mate, relate the tale of the whistler, the spirit of a whistling seaman lost overboard many years ago, who was said to return to the Clara M and whistle as a warning of impending trouble. Just as Barnaby finished his story, an eerie whistle was heard. Shortly afterward, Captain Hawkins was lost overboard, but fortunately was rescued by Superman. As we join them now, Kent is busy banging out a story while seated on the deck of the Clara M, southbound for Panama. Listen.
2: And who can say that we did not hear the whistler? Certainly it was not imagination... On our part, his strange whistle came to us on deck and then receded from us. I wonder shall we hear it again? Whether we do or not, no doubt exists that there are many adventures in store for us on our trip around. Hi, oh, mate. Huh? Oh, hello, Jimmy. Banging out the last few lines of my first article for the Daily Planet. You well, sure ought to have enough to say in it. are
3: the things that have been happening aboard this ship.
2: Well, I've had to play some of it down, such as the captain falling overboard.
3: Play it down? Mm-hmm. What for?
2: Well, in the first place, it would just wouldn't do to say the captain had fallen overboard because that never happens. In the second place, he didn't fall.
3: Oh, but he did, Mister Kent. Not
2: Jimmy. The captain didn't just fall. He was pushed or thrown overboard. But
3: he himself said. I know.
2: That. I know. That's what bothers me. Something strange about Captain Hawkins, Jim. Matter of fact, there seems to be something strange about practically everything aboard this ship.
3: Oh, you mean the Whistler, huh? Well, that's one of them.
2: I said in my article here that it might have been our imagination playing tricks, but, uh, we both know, Jim, that we did hear that whistle last night. Oh, we sure did. Gosh, I've never heard anything so ghostly and eerie. Mm, it was all of that. Just remember
3: one thing, Jim. There are no such things as ghosts. Yeah, I know, but, boy, if Superman were with us on this trip, he'd solve this mystery of the Whistler in no time. Right. Still believe that Superman fairy tale? Gosh, there you go again, Mr. Kent. I tell you, Superman does... All right, does... Jim, all right. We won't argue about it. Finish your lessons for today? Yes, sir. I solved those algebra equations you gave me and finished my English lesson. Good. I wrote a composition about Teak Barnaby. Oh, character sketch of the first mate, eh?
2: What did you say about it?
3: Well, I just put down exactly what I think about him. I said he was a fierce-looking man with a wooden leg and that he looked like he'd make a swell pirate, that he was a swell guy Ah, and... easy there, Jimmy. You're
2: overworking that word, swell.
3: It's slang, you know, and you mustn't use it too much. Gee,
2: that's right. I'll watch it, Mr. Kent. Good. Oh, say, there's Captain Hawkins up ahead with the helmsman. Let's go have a word or two with him, huh? Sure.
3: Say, do you still think it was kind of queer of Teak Barnaby signing on the way he did? Something funny about that whole setup, Jimmy.
2: Don't forget, Captain Hawkins had spent days trying to get a crew. No one would sign on. Then suddenly, within an hour, Teak Barnaby signs on and with him an entire crew. It does seem kind of funny.
3: I like him and all Yet sometimes I get a feeling when he's looking at me with those burning eyes of his. Well, it's hard to explain. Yeah, I know what you mean. Hello
0: there, Mr. Kent. Jimmy. Hi there, Hi, Captain. Captain. Beautiful day. Aye, perfect sailing weather. And the old Clara M. hasn't lost any of her spark. She answers to your hand like a raisin shell. Jim, lad, can you box the compass for me?
3: Oh, gosh, not yet, Captain Hawkins. I had a lot of other studying to do this morning, but I'll get to it the second
0: have you seen Mr. Barnaby about? Aye, Mr. Kent, I have. He's aloft in the crow's nest. Oh.
3: Aloft? How on earth did he get there?
0: <laughs> if it's his wooden leg you're thinking of, forget it. It doesn't bother him a bit. Take Barnaby is as much at home in the rigging as he is on deck. Hey, look, laddie. How would you like to take the wheel? Me? Aye. Oh,
3: gosh. Councilman,
0: let the lad take over. Right. Captain, are you sure it'll be all right? Aye, she handles like a baby, Mr. Kent. Nothing to fear. Yeah, keep both hands on the wheel now, Jim, lad.
3: Gosh. What? She's alive. I can feel a whole ship pulsing and pulling. Aye,
0: lad. You've got to take the wheel to know your vessel. <laughs> Easy there, lad. Easy. Steady she goes. Gosh. Sail up there started to flap something off. Uh, you've got to keep the wind up after beam, lad.
3: Oh, oh yes. Aye, sir. Uh, sir. That is...
0: Uh, before you let Jim do any real steering, Captain, you better explain most of these nautical expressions to us. Aye, if we're not careful, look out!
1: Bit... Quick, man! Up! Chris <coughs> Scott. What happened?
0: Uh, that belaying pin came down from aloft, struck the deck where I'd been standing. Mr. Kent, if you hadn't pulled me out of the way, I'd be a dead man. Oh, there, you blasted in son of a pigeon. Oh! oh That's you, Mr. Barnaby? Barnaby? i deck you. Oh, you. Oh,
3: if only the lad wasn't here so I could express myself. Here comes Mr. Barnaby now.
0: Gosh, look at him slide down that rope. Sheep, lad. Sheep, not rope. Mind your helm. Support. Support. Oh.
3: I don't know what to say. Helmsman
0: take over. Old... Uh, uh, all
4: right, lad, I've got it. To... Well, mister,
0: what have you to say for yourself?
4: I beg your pardon, Captain. I don't take your meaning. You know
0: what I mean right enough, Mr. Barnaby. That the land pin fell from aloft. It would have killed me if Mr. Kent here hadn't pulled me out of the way. Oh, how he saw it coming
1: as be the land pin? Aye. Fell from aloft,
4: eh? Well, now let me see. Well, blast my eyes if it ain't gone. Gone? What's gone, Mr. Barnaby? Why, sir, I stuck a belay and pin in my belt before going aloft, and it, ain't there now? Must have, uh, must have fallen out. Such carelessness is inexcusable, man. I'll not have it aboard my ship. You understand? Aye, sir. Blast my eyes. I can't fathom it. I've never dropped a belay pin before.
2: Be careful you don't again.
4: Huh? Eh? Oh.
0: Aye, sir. I want the foretop and the stasel Lay forward to the men, Mr. Barnaby.
1: Aye, sir. Aye. Well, I,
0: I can't thank you enough for saving my life, Mr. Kent. I must say you were on the alert. Yes,
2: Captain. Something we'd all better learn to do aboard this ship. Well, your answers to those algebra equations are perfect, Jim. Now, suppose we examine you on English history.
3: All set. You
2: will do this quickly. It's how much time you're in bed.
3: Yeah. I'm sure I'm sleepy. It must be the salt air or something. Mm, probably. All right, now, English history. What does 1066 mean to you? Oh, gosh, that's easy. In 1066, Edward the Confessor died and Harold was chosen king. During that same year, Harold defeated the King of Norway at Stamford Bridge. Then later, William, the Duke of Normandy, defeated Harold near Hastings. And that's really the most important thing that happened in 1066... Because it marked the beginning of the Norman Conquest of England. That's fine, Jimmy. Now, tomorrow I want
2: you to read the next chapter, which takes up the completion of the Norman Conquest. Okay, but right now, Mr. Kent, if you don't mind, I'm gonna hop into bed. I'm tired of tired. All right, Jimmy. I'm gonna step out on deck for a breath of air before I turn in. Uh huh.
3: Well, good night. Good night,
2: Jim. Ah, yes, good. Beautiful night. I'll just take a walk about deck. Four bells. Ten o'clock. Funny, I can't get that incident of this afternoon out of my mind. It doesn't make sense, Barnaby, letting a belaying pin fall like that and then pretending he didn't know it had fallen. Hello. Sounds like Barnaby now,
0: talking to someone in the shadow of the picture.
2: I don't think it would hurt to find out what he's saying. I'll just slip along You're told, Limey. Is
4: that understood? You'll do
1: as you're told.
4: I'm telling you, out here to I heard
1: it fine as target it was. I can whistle if ever I get one. It took me to of board this ship, Bones. But chance not talk you out of getting over to help me.
4: You mention that name of Bones again, and I'll break your neck. My name's Barnaby aboard the ship. Keep Barnaby, and don't you forget it. Barnaby, or Bones is all one with me. As long as I get off this tub. Blast my eyes, Limey, I've a good mind. Now, you listen. I'm paying you and every man Jack aboard a good price for what you're doing. And I'm not having you spilling your mouth about ghosts and such things. You best take care, Limey it will go hard with you. Oh, I was bombing the son of the ship in the first place. You're on now, and you'll do as I say. I'll get below. Well, let me take your get below. I... Spire my client, will you down. Hello. I spoil my plans. While I'm alive and kicking. Oh, no. Is that you, Mister Cairns?
2: Uh, yes, Barnaby. Good evening.
4: Taking the air, are you? Before turning in? Yes. Well, good night to you, sir.
2: Good night, Barnaby. Good night.
3: Uh oh, William the Conqueror, Battle of. Oh, gosh. I've been trying to get to sleep ever since Mr. Kent left the cabin over an hour ago. Thought I was sleepy too. All those dates of English history keep running through my mind. Gee, that kind of mysterious laying here in this cabin with the creaking. What? That sounded like it is a whistler. It's moving off down the deck. Gosh, I'm scared. But I can't let that stop me. Gotta investigate. Gotta find out whether the whistler is human or whether it's a ghost. Yeah. Gotta pull myself together and
0: follow that whistle.
1: Well, the plot certainly thickens. What will happen to Jimmy as he follows the whistler? Will he solve the mystery? And what was the meaning of the conversation between Barnaby and Limey? Be sure to hear the next thrilling episode of our mystery story with Superman. Tune in the next thrilling installment of the transcription feature, Superman. Up in the sky. Oh, it's a thing. It's a plane. It's Superman. Superman. is a copyrighted feature appearing in Action Comics magazine.
5: Episode 169, The Last of the Clipper Ships 3, March 10th, 1941 Ahoy there, mateys! Welcome aboard to the Superman Radio Revisited Podcast. I'm your captain, Matt. Let's shove off, shall we? enjoyed hearing Clark dictating his story while he was typing it as a way to recap the previous episodes. It's much more romantic to me that as a reporter... Clark is typing on a typewriter and is not just able to record his voice into a program that converts it to print like we can do today with our smartphones.
0: Clark can't seem like just a mild-mannered reporter, but listen, not only does he know how to treat his editor-in-chief with the proper respect, not only does he have a snappy, punchy prose style, but he is, in my 40 years in this business, the fastest typist I've ever seen.
5: Jimmy enters the scene and we find out that he is doing algebra equations, English, and history lessons. I wonder if this was an agreement made with Jimmy's school that he could go on this long journey if he did homework along the way. It could have been his mother's idea, and Clark is overseeing that he does the work and is doing it correctly. I'm also almost certain that if it wasn't the school or Jim's mother's idea, Clark decided it would be good for Jimmy and might have instigated it himself, being the square that it can sometimes be. I would think there is plenty to learn on the trip itself. Especially since Jim's going to be job-shadowing Clark, learning nautical terms and that craft, not to mention all of the different cultures around the world. I would think Jemmy could just write a report and present it to the school upon his return. As Teak said...
4: So we're to have a lad aboard too, are we?
3: Aye, sir, I'm coming too.
4: (laughs) Then keep your ears open and your eyes peeled, laddie, and you'll learn a lot. Blow me down if a voyage in an old windjammer like the Clara am ain't the finest education a boy can have. I'll
5: try to learn, sir. Speaking of Jimmy's homework, Jimmy talks about certain facts, and I wonder if we might get some correlation in a future episode that has something to do with a fact that Jimmy learned. That seems almost too hard for a writer to resist, planting the seeds and then giving a payoff later. I did like that Clark was saying that Jimmy was overworking the word swell, Considering that word is slang. It made me think of Superman the movie and this line from Lois. Swell. Yeah. You know, Clark,
0: um, there are very few people left in the world who feel comfortable
5: it. Swell, really? Speaking of Lois, she is probably back in Metropolis covering the city beat and recovering from the dust storm that happened in the Dragon's Teeth storyline. I don't think there are any women aboard the Clara M, and if Lois was along, she would certainly be. popular. I could see Perry making the decision to send Clark and Jimmy instead of Lois for that reason alone, because he probably was concerned for her safety, even though Lois is certainly capable of taking care of herself. That is, when she doesn't need to be rescued by Superman. Jimmy and Clark talk with Captain Hawkins. And it was fun that Jimmy was able to take the helm of the Clara M.
3: Gosh, what? she's alive. I can feel a whole ship pulsing and pulling.
0: Aye, lad, you've got to take the wheel to know your vessel. <laughs> easy there, lad, easy, steady, she goes. Gosh, sail up there, started to flap something off. Uh, you've got to keep the wind of after beam, lad.
3: Oh, oh yes, sir. Uh, aye, sir.
0: That is a... <laughs> before you let Jim
2: do any real steering, Captain, you better explain most of these nautical expressions to
0: him. <laughs> I, if we're not careful, Look out! Look out!
1: Bit... Uh, Quick, man! Uh, <coughs> what happened?
0: Uh, that belaying pin came down from aloft, struck the deck where I'd been standing. Mr. Kent, if you hadn't pulled me out of the way, I'd be a
5: dead man. So right there, we had the second attempt on Captain Hawkins' life, when a belaying pin nearly takes him out. And I wasn't sure what a belaying pin was, so I decided to do some hard-hitting research. A belaying pin is a solid metal or wooden device used on traditionally rigged sailing vessels to secure lines of running rigging. Largely replaced on most modern vessels by cleats, they are still used, particularly on square-rigged ships. And a belaying pin is composed of a round handle and a cylindrical shaft. So, probably something with some heft to it. That, if it's dropped or swung from a high distance, could definitely take somebody out and kill them. And these could be accidents, but Teak Barnaby definitely seems to be our number one suspect here. We know in, from this episode that he is indeed paying the crew or assembled the crew, so he's kind of the leader to all except for Captain Hawkins and Clark and Jimmy are there just along for the ride. So it's definitely conceivable that he could have had a conspirator push Captain Hawkins off the ship, as Clark believes. And also, just this blain pin, the whole thing with it dropping, and Captain or Teak Barnaby's response to that when he's talking with Clark and Jimmy. Relax my eyes, I
4: can't fathom it. I've never dropped a belaying before. Be careful you don't again.
5: Huh? I loved how Clark responded, and it seemed to surprise Teak. So as Teak is going off, and Clark and Captain Hawkins are talking, and Hawkins is thankful to Clark, and Clark advises Captain Hawkins to be alert. And later, after Jimmy... Goes to sleep, or is Trent going to try to go to sleep, and Clark ends up taking that stroll on the deck on a beautiful night and overhears a conversation between Teek and Limey in the shadow of the poop deck. Is that understood? You'll do as you're told.
1: Well, I'm telling you, I heard it. It's the finest thing it was. A okay. ghastly whistle if ever I heard one. It took me to a couple of boats this ship, Bones, but Chance took me out of getting over to help me. You
4: might tell me that name of Bones
5: again and I'll break your neck. My name's Barnaby aboard the ship. Teek Barnaby, and don't you forget. I got the gist of the conversation, even if I think Limey is hard to understand. This made me realize I don't want to be in charge of subtitles for a program. I think I would just have to put a question mark where words are supposed to go when I can't get what they're saying. Anyway, Limey seems to be superstitious where the whistler is concerned, and we now know that Teak Barnaby is just an alias, making Teak even shadier than he was before. And back to Jimmy, we find out that Jimmy was left alone for over an hour, unable to sleep. And he then hears the ominous whistling and decides to investigate. Jimmy is scared, but I would say brave, as bravery could be described, as not the absence of fear, but overcoming it. And then we are left with a great cliffhanger there. What I think is happening in the story is Teak's plan is to kill Captain Hawkins and to make Clark and Jimmy superstitious and afraid so that they will get off the Clara M at the next port, never to board again. Then Teak can assume control of the Clara M like he wanted since the first episode of the storyline. Outside the radio serial, onthisday.com has March 10th, 1941, as the day that Lee McPhail, Dodger general manager, predicts all managers or er, all players will wear batting helmets intergalactic interaction thank you for the retweets of my last podcast from at steven or else, one of the co-hosts of the excellent superman super show jp roca at od fashion outlaw at andre tfg the warlock thanos podcast at adam thanos pod and the jli podcast at jli podcast On Facebook, I missed a response last episode when Stephen Orr said about episode 46. This was a fun one. When Teak was leaving Perry's office and says, You've made a mistake, matey. That made me laugh out loud. And then I had to respond with a gif of Willy Wonka. Good day, sir! And about the last episode, Russell Bragg said, Time for Superman Radio episode with Matt. Enjoy and share the show. So thank you very much for all the feedback and sharing the show and I think that is the best way to grow my listening audience. I'm not going to kill you. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to tell all your friends about me. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback there are a couple ways to get a hold of me. On Twitter, at Radio Superman and there is a Superman Radio Revisited podcast Facebook group. And I used some audio clips from Superman the Movie in this episode, and I know I have in previous episodes as well. So I'm going to end with a promo for the Superman Movie Minute podcast, hosted by Rob Kelly and Chris Franklin. And in that show, they do a deep dive into Superman, Superman 2, and Superman 3, five minutes at a time. And so far, I've enjoyed their coverage of the first film, and I'm just getting started on their coverage of Superman 2. Thank you for listening to Superman Radio Revisited. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and is copyright DC Comics. All audio clips and music used is copyright the respective copyright holders. And the opening theme song for this episode was Bop. By man's ear. Well, good night to you, sir.
2: Good night, wannabe. Good night.
1: Good afternoon, Mr. President. Sorry, I've been away so long. I won't let you down again.
2: It's finally here, coming to the Fire and Water Podcast Network.
1: General?
5: would you care to step outside it's superman 2 movie minute
2: chris franklin and rob kelly are back to discuss 1980s superman 2 five minutes at a time
5: superman faces his toughest challenge when he squares off against lex luthor and three villains from the planet krypton
2: superman 2 movie minute proud member of the fire and water podcast network
0: man this is gonna be good